Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for the price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. Every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. I actually have the SeatGeek app on my phone by far. The easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. Use it often whenever you need tickets for anything. You want to go see the Lakers. You want to go see the Clippers. You want to see the Chargers here in Los Angeles. The Rams, a lot of good teams to see in LA. You can use SeatGeek for all of that. Best of all, all my listeners here will get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code USC today. That's promo code USC for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Talking some USC Trojan football like we always do. I got Keely Yor sitting next to me in studio. We got Dan Weber on the line waiting, just waiting with bated breath to talk about the USC Trojans. We got some news this morning. So we're going to talk about that uh, stuff we've been talking about on the assistant coaching front. Some positive moves, I think, by Clay Helton and company. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us. Podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address. Or if you'd like to call or text, there's a number for that. 424-254-9141. That's 424-254-9141. Send us a text. Send us a, or call us and leave us a voicemail. We'd love to play it on the air and chat about whatever is on your mind. We got some of all those correspondences from you today. So correspondence, what did I say? Correspondences or something like that. Correspond. It's a tough intro. You got Man. it. You were very close. I was very, I was close to being there. Well, that's Keely. You are, you can hear her. Hello. Hi. What's up, Keely? What's up? Follow her on Twitter at Keely is my name. It is my name. It is her name still. Uh, and Dan Weber on the line. Hello, Dan. Hey, uh, I like that word actually. Uh, you should do that one, uh, one new word, uh, uh, for podcast. You could uh, create a new word. I like that. Correspondences, right? Is that Was that the right thing I was supposed to say? Or is I that... think so. Your correspondence. We, for the podcast of champions, uh, we made um, we made up a uh, a new word. Uh, Dave, Dave, well, Dave Woods came up with it. So there was like uh, horrible and atrocious. And this is what he came up with. Herocious. Herocious. <laughs> Herocious. Like so we, we use that. Yeah, there is a, I think there is a word that will make the Urban Dictionary in the not-too-distant future courtesy of USC football, uh, tarmac. I think uh, tarmac, uh, uh, I think will eventually be there. We just need a one or two more tarmacings, and uh, that word will be in the Urban Dictionary. Maybe in the real dictionary, even. I, I mean, it's such a good word. 
I don't think anyone needs any more tarmacking day, but I think it is an f- official word in the USC lexicon. You haven't read the P. I think uh, <laughs> if you think that's the case. Uh, yeah. Well, what the P thinks sometimes doesn't always match up with what I think, but we'll see. Um, well, we got a pretty big show today. We have to uh, talk about some breaking news. All right. I'm going to, okay, I'm going to hope I get this right. Um, So two assistant coaching hires, we posted about it, uh, tweeted about it yesterday. Those are the names we are hearing, names that made sense. I'll start with the easy one, Mike Jenks. So he was the former head coach at Bowling Green, but he has a, you know, relationship with Cliff Kingsbury. He was the running backs coach there. Um, So he became the head coach of Bowling Green, was fired middle of the year. Now he's going to join USC and coach running backs. And then Chad Kauha Aha Aha, hopefully that's right. Um, there's two like apostrophes in his name. It's just so if you're curious, his last name is K-A-U-H-A apostrophe A-H-A apostrophe A. So it's uh Kauha Aha Aha, I believe. And uh he's gonna be the uh defensive line coach, and he's coached at places like Boise State. Uh, where he was this last year, Oregon State, Wisconsin, uh, Utah, Utah State. Uh, He was actually a high school uh, head coach before to start his career. So two former, I guess you could say two former head coaches, one, you know, in college, one uh, in high school. Um, But I thought, you know, after the Cliff Kingsbury announcement, uh, two guys that are, seemed like they would be desirable hires that other programs would want. So when I'm when I'm being critical, when I'm saying, hey, why are you hiring like someone that no one else would hire? All three of these guys, to me, are people, these are coaches that other programs would like to hire. So I think good moves by Clay Helton. But Dan, get your initial thoughts on these guys. Well, and any other background you want to add? Yeah, I think they're, uh, it's interesting. They're sort of mid-career guys, uh, 45 and 46 years old, uh, Chad and uh, uh, Mike, respectively. Um I think Mike was interesting uh, because of his relationship uh, with uh, both the state of Texas and uh, and with uh, Cliff Kingsbury, and he did so well at uh, you know at Texas Tech and became associate head coach and had a nearly 1,500 yard rusher uh, the one year. So uh, and yet he's a quarterback himself. So uh, in college, so kind of a nice uh, a nice hire. You know, in terms of expanding the recruiting in Texas with Kingsbury and uh, and Jenks, who was the, uh, uh, I guess, a, a really well-respected high school coach in Texas, won a state championship there, um, coached at all the, you know, football hotbeds in, in Texas as a high school coach before uh, uh, was elevated to Kingsbury staff. And I understand he's already on the road recruiting, uh, you know, for USC. Uh, so impressive there. And you got guys who've done a lot of things, and yet, you know, you're not guys that are at the end of their career. It's kind of that, you know, that sweet spot when you're getting, you know, these guys who've been around. Or you get a guy like, uh, you know, Coach K, we will call him, um, who's been at, you know, been at Wisconsin when Wisconsin was, you know, well, Wisconsin stayed, you know, really good. Uh, been at Utah, uh, put 10, 10 guys into the NFL. Um, you know, worked his way up, done some good things at Utah State, and was the uh, uh, kind of associate head coach at uh, Oregon State. Uh, the last couple of years he was there, uh, and then uh, 
and did a really nice job his one year at Boise State. Uh, so you're getting, I guess, two real, you know, professional uh, kinds of coaches. I, I do think Coach Jinks was such a Texas guy. From what I understood, when he took the Bowling Green head job, I don't think he'd ever been in the state of Ohio. And I could have told him, as somebody who grew up uh, Bowling Green and up in northwestern Ohio on I-75, um, it's just a different place. And I think the Mid-American Conference is difficult enough if you grew up in it to know, you know, where the where you can recruit and all the, you know, the little ins and outs of that. That was a, a probably a really tough deal. I think teaching the air raid at uh, at Windy. Uh, uh, Bowling Green, uh, I think that was a really difficult, you know, fit for him. So, uh, so I think it'd be good to get him back together with uh, Cliff, and uh, and we're going to see how the rest of the offensive hiring goes. Because we're we're still not sure, you know, what are, what are they going to do with the offensive line? What are they going to do with wide receivers or another wide receiver coach, or or how how exactly does that work? But uh, I thought a pretty good. Uh, Pretty good, uh, pretty good start. And, and again, we keep hearing so many good things about Cliff Kingsbury, uh, just his presence, uh, the way he, you know, kind of gone about his business, the way he, uh, just the way he does things. That uh, that's a you know pretty good start. Uh, I don't think we could have, you know, probably, um, you know, hope for, uh, you know, a whole lot more in terms of just the, uh, you know, the first couple of of replacements after, you know having five coaches move on for various reasons, a uh, pretty good, pretty good way to, you know, get the thing going. I think I might've screwed up the name already. So it's <laughs> okay. Chad. It's so there's, I think I might've put an extra ha at the end. It's cow. Ha, ah, ha, ah. I don't think not aha at the end. So I think I might've put an extra ha, but it's just the, the, they give you the pronunciation. It's cow. So that's pretty easy. Okay. Then ha dash ha. So dash a, ah, so ha ah, and then ha ah again. But I think I might have put an extra ha because like ha ah ah ha ah ha. I guess, but there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of syllables. Two ahas and two commas. Yeah. Uh, so. Interesting. <laughs> Just when you thought Aha. we mastered Palaie Naoteote, yes. The the football name gods threw us another curveball. This is a curve. This is uh, and, and then you're going to pronounce it, exactly, but then spell it. Yeah. What do you, What do you think exactly is happening? Because all the first poly kids, you know, and it just has been a gradual increase. The names didn't seem that difficult. And the more and more we go, the names get more and more difficult. And I don't know if that's, uh, I don't know if that's some, you know, some linguistic kind of a thing. It's just a, sort of a natural development. Uh, I don't know. Remember Martin Coleman or John Martinez? Like those guys were Polynesian guys. Like that was pretty easy. Juju you know? Smith or, or, or Kennedy Paula, who then became Kennedy Palomalu. Yeah, uh, he, he made it more complicated. Yeah, his own his own name. Uh, uh, you know, it's, and I'm guessing we don't understand exactly all that goes into uh, uh, you know Polynesian names. That you know, for us to to try to figure out how to exactly that works, I think it's probably occurring at a level above our heads in terms of all of, you know, the thing, every, what everything means and how they're all related, uh, you know, in terms of the, the language uh, to one another. And, and, and we, we're just probably never going to totally get up to speed. Uh, just do the best we can. Yeah. John, yeah. Juju Smith Schuster used to be John Smith in high school. <laughs> yeah. It was just John Smith. And then it became 
Juju Smith and then Juju Smith Schuster, but still not like, you know, yeah, there's still not a lot. It was like a Hawaiian Polynesian kind of name. Uh, Kaylee, what, what did you have any thoughts on the, um, the hires? I mean, Dan pretty much summed it up pretty well. Um, I, you know, if you listen to us over the past couple of weeks, we've been complaining about or or our standards were pretty high. You know, you have to bring in experience. You can't bring in guys who this is their first time in this position. They don't sure. have a lot on the resume. And these are guys who have experience. They they have they have no connection to USC, no connection to Clay Helton or his family bringing in fresh blood that can see areas that are an issue with how USC has done it for a while and go, hey, that's not how we should do this. Hey, this is, this is how we did it and this is how we had success, you know? So having guys who have done it well before and bringing them in, bringing in fresh blood and two former head coaches, yeah, it helps. Having experience helps. And it's it's nice to see kind of a new look USC. You know, you're not having guys that are like, yeah, he was here a couple of years ago. Yeah, he was it, Sark know? and yeah, Kiffin yeah, yeah, and yeah. all that, yeah. It's a new face. Well, I mean, I like the idea that you've got people in the room who, un- unlike when we ask the questions, you know, we're just media, but you'll have guys in the room that'll say, why are you doing that? Why would we do that? What are you thinking? You know, I want that voice in the room. Uh, I want those people to say, you know, I think there's a better way to do that. Or are we going to, I mean, we're not going to do this or we're, you know, that's, I think I want those voices in the room. And I think, you know, it's, they're in the room. I think that's, that's what, what you got to like. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Uh, hey, before we jump into questions, I wanted to thank Trader Joe's. We're coming to the end of the year, and uh, they've been with us all year. You know, even the the year before. So it's been awesome to work with the people over at Trader Joe's. It's you know, I guess that USC Village has been around a couple years now. And uh, if you want to go over there for if you're at USC, that's definitely one of the spots you need to go check out is uh, Trader Joe's over in the Village. Uh, I love going to the one in my neighborhood in Hermosa Beach. I know you guys. Uh, like checking yours out as well. We got our USC bags uh, that are, you know, so I always, that's what I shop with. I take that USC bag in there uh, and they're pretty cool. People ask about them all the time, but it's, uh, they've been, it's been great working with Trader Joe's. Hopefully you guys can go check it out, especially for the holidays, you know, you, you little parties around the house. I'm having a holiday party. We're going to Trader Joe's beforehand. Nice. It's all planned out. Thanks for the invite. I appreciate <laughs> Sorry, it. Ryan, you're not really in the age range of this party. <laughs> Well, Dan said he's going, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah. well, Dan's not yeah, always the exception. I'm going to Trader Joe's to get my uh, uh, corn pudding, a holiday thing. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, I, I don't know you can get it anywhere else, and, and you got to make sure that they still have it by the time you get there, but uh, it's uh, absolutely the best. And uh, now that I say that, I think I better go make sure that my, uh, my one intestine has my corn pudding for me. All right. Um, okay. So we kind of talked about the breaking news stuff. We got questions that, you know, kind of range from all over the place, Kingsbury things, stuff like that. Uh, I guess we'll start with a voicemail. Is that cool? Keely? Sure. Boss person. (laughs) Keely's the one, like she's, she runs the show. She picks which question. So if your question doesn't get picked, it's, you know, at Keely is my name. You know, I always wonder coming into the podcast, which way you're going to throw me under the bus. This is a new one. I I appreciate it. So, yeah, so just make sure you word your questions, you know, no, eloquently so that Keely it. will pick it. I'm reading all of them, guys. All right, she's checking them out. Okay, uh, here's the first voicemail for you. Hi, guys. This question is for Dan. Do you think that part of the reason that Lynn Swan and Clay Helton retained Ivan Lewis and Clancy Pendergast is for their promotion of long-term stability at the head coaching position? I mean, think about it. 
next year, if you either have poor defensive performances or a ton of injuries again, then you can use that as an excuse and buy Helton another year by firing either the defensive coordinator or strength and conditioning coach. Then the next year, if whatever coach wasn't fired, whether it's the strength and conditioning coach or the defensive coordinator, if you have more issues, then you can buy yourself yet another year by firing that coach. And then that cycle could continue on and on and on as new coaches come and go. Now, I know that this is a little bit of a conspiracy theory, and I believe that Helton will need at least eight wins per year moving forward to keep his job, but it seems relatively viable given how SC and Lynn Swan have handled everything to this point. Anyways, I'd be interested to get your thoughts. Fight on, Jason and Longhorn Country. Okay, Jason, uh, a little smart there, I would think. I'm, I'm not sure Jason was as serious as he uh, as he read that, uh, but uh, I don't know that we we have enough of a track record for Lynn Swan and Clay Elton acting in concert, uh, and I don't know that that anything definitive has been done on the uh, strength and conditioning position yet. I mean, my, my take on it is USC needs that guy to be a coach. He needs to be as much or more of a coach than any other one of the, uh, you know, the official uh, assistants and coordinators. Uh, he's in more contact with the players than anybody else. If you look at Alabama, you look at Ohio state, you look at Notre Dame, those guys are, I mean, they're like super coaches. And I think that's what has to happen at USC. I know Ivan, you know, one of his responsibilities is he's, you know, they, they run the, the weight program for all 21 sports. And, you know, the people under him, um, you know, are responsible for that, and they all work with football. I think they need an absolutely dedicated football person who's a coach first. And that's they've got to change the way they're doing things at USC. He's got to be somebody who – all he does is football, and all he cares about is football, and he has the authority to be the big boss in football. No more of this, uh, you know, kind of, we'll let you work it out on your own and hope everything goes well and blah, blah, blah. blah. No, they got that's not how it works. It doesn't work well anywhere like that. So, so I don't know what the deal is, you know, in terms of, uh, of strength and conditioning. In terms of, you know, coaching by hostage where you release a hostage each year if things don't go well or whatever, I don't know if it's releasing a hostage, releasing a coach. Uh, I don't think they're going to have, if it doesn't go well, I don't think they're going to have that op- option after another year. I, mean, I don't think they're going to say, well, no, no, you can't do that. You, you did it once this year. I don't think you're going to be allowed to do it next year or the year after. I, I, I would say that if that's a plan, that's not a good plan. You want to jump in see some uh, emails and texts and such? Sure, let's do it. Lloyd says, uh, he has a couple questions. He says, do you think Helton and Cliff Kingsbury can coexist when Kingsbury gets all the credit for the offense? When Helton does his presser, it, it's about what he's going to do, and an understanding the offense is going to be pretty much Kingsbury's baby. Well, I mean, I you can go back to the, you know some of the absolute great coaches uh, I mean, and you've got some in the USC you know, football history with Bear Bryant and, and Sean McKay, and they made it very clear that their job was to coach the assistant coaches, and the assistant coaches' job was to coach the players. So they didn't have a, a, any sense that their role was diminished by not being the hands-on guy running the offense or whatever. And obviously, 
you know, they would they would set the tone. Probably McKay more so a little bit. I think more a little more hands on than than uh, than Bear Bryant in a lot of ways. But uh, but they got to the point where uh, you know the focus was on their assistance and getting the right assistance. So I, I mean I think it would be easy uh, to say look. I'm doing a good job as a head coach because I got the right assistant coaches and they're doing the job that we need to have done. So I think, I think that, I think that can work. I think now there can't be any, uh, and, and with the air raid attack, it's not so uh, focused on getting one play call right or getting, you know, it, it, where it comes down to that. It's more the, you know, the, the entire offense. So I don't think you'll be in those situations where it comes down to who's going to make this call or, you know, does the head coach you know get involved in the call and all that. I think it, it becomes more of a free-flowing game. They have more success. They put more points on the board. And you don't have those situations where you so often have had at USC where, you know, who's making that call? And, you know, was it T? Was it Clay? Was it, you know, Tyson? Was it? Brian Ellis and all of that, I think that kind of goes away. So I, I think that's less of an issue. Um, so I think the chance is there for, for, for Clay to pretty much disengage and do all the things that a head coach needs to do in terms of, uh, you know, getting all the support programs right, the strength and conditioning, the uh, recruiting staff, the um, uh, nutrition programs. Uh, doing all that, getting all the assistant coaches, talking to one another, working well with one another, making sure the game day stuff happens, making sure you've got 11 players on the field in all special team situations, all of that kind of stuff. And and I think Kingsbury can certainly function and the offense can function without uh, a great deal of input from Clay. I think Clay has to know that. Um, I, I'd be shocked if he doesn't really understand that at this point. Yeah, you know, and I, I know you wrote something in the war room, Dan, about this. Um, so check that out on uscfootball.com. Actually, it's a really good time to subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, 10 bucks a month. Be the most knowledgeable USC fan you can be. Uh, the biggest site we got is out the biggest site out there. That's what we got. So big check here. A lot of great information. A lot of great inside stuff. We, we do talk a lot about it on the podcast, but a lot of the insider stuff we kind of keep on the peristyle. But in the in the war room, talking about something that, uh, like our friend Yogi Roth was was saying, and I, I know he's he said it on like a podcast or two, and and it was in I think an article in the Athletic. We're talking about this was going to be Clay Helton's offense or something like, not Cliff Kingsbury. And and I, we love Yogi. I mean, good friends and stuff. I feel like this was sort of a narrative that there's trying to be put out there, where maybe it is to protect you know Clay Helton a little bit, where it's just not you have someone coming in and just running their offense, but. There's no reason you hire Cliff Kingsbury unless he's coming in and running the air raid. He's not going to run some version of what USC has with like some air raid concepts like that. To me, that doesn't make any sense. I think he's shown the ability to adapt and have, uh, you know, if they, when he inherited a tight end at, at Texas Tech that was really good, the guy caught over 100 catches. We had a really good running back, and and Mike Jenks was there coaching him. Uh, I think it was I forget his name. Uh, Malcolm Washington. He, he ran DeAndre for, Washington. DeAndre Washington ran for over fourteen hundred yards. So he can adapt his offense, but it's to me, it's his offense. It's not going to be Clay Allen's offense. It'll be Clay Allen's team. I don't think that's you know you're taking that away from him, but 
I, I don't see any reason why you would want to come and say, oh, he's going to come in and run Clay Helton's offense. To me, that makes no sense. That's a really good point. It's Clay's team. It's not his offense. Uh, and yet it is in the fact that he allows Cliff Kingsbury to do it. I think the thing with Cliff Kingsbury is he doesn't have to look around and say, what do you think we should do here? Or I wonder what so-and-so. No, he's figured out what you do here, there. I know Bruce Feldman's comment that he talked to a, a Big 12 coach this week who, who just said he can't wait to see what uh, uh, Cliff does in the Pac-12 with USC's athletes, considering what he did this year with, I guess, a top 12 offense with three different quarterbacks and skilled people that would just had you know, no real special talent at all. And he still, you know, performed it uh, as well as he did. And you just think, um, why would you get in the way of that? Why would you just do anything other than just let him perform? I mean, basically, uh, you know, you're talking about, you're, you're thinking USC is going to score a couple of touchdowns more a game. And, and what does that mean for USC? What would that have meant this year? You know, Texas Tech with a schedule, not that unlike USC's, you know, they played West Virginia and Oklahoma and Texas and people like that. And, you know, against Texas, they lose 41-34 with very few players that would have started for USC. Uh, you know, USC would have liked to have come out of a Texas game with 34 points. Uh, so I don't think you get in the way of that at all. You just say, go get him. Go get him, Cliff. And, um, and try to give him as many, uh, you know, as many athletes as he can to do what he's going to do. But, uh, but I, yeah, I don't think you try to say, well, this is still my offense. Or would you like to put some gumbo, you know, on it? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Don't want any gumbo. I mean, that's been the problem that that it was, you know, it was Kiffin's offense and Sark's offense and and um, you know Clay's offense and T's offense and no, just leave it be Cliff Kingsbury's offense. It's yes. fine. And I don't think that detracts from Helton if you have an offensive coordinator that runs a well-run offense. Like you're still, it's still your team. You're still the CEO of the team. Like just because you have good coordinators doesn't make you less of a coach. If yeah. anything, it makes you shows that you can hire well, right? Yeah, yeah and it makes you more of a head coach. It makes you more of a big time head coach if you've got good people working for you who are getting the job done. I mean, you, you got to get the, the the W's, but if you do, you're going to get credit. Yeah. So, and I think you I could, you've seen. And our next question is uh, about oh. Sorry, I just we have a question on the topic. Okay, oh, Eric in Duck Country. He says, "I keep hearing people say that this is Clay Helton's offense." We kind of already addressed that, but he says, "Speaking purely from an X's and O standpoint, is there any area you would say Clay Helton is better than uh, better at than Cl- Cliff Kingsbury?" No, <laughs> not so far. We haven't seen it. I mean, that's fair. I mean, it's like as far as offense goes, that's what he specializes in. Yeah. Now. Cliff Kingsbury was not as successful of a head coach. It was at Texas Tech. You, could, I mean, Clay Helton's had more success than Cliff Kingsbury at head coach. Now, Clay Helton was at USC, and Cliff King, Kingsbury was at Texas Tech. But you could say, I, I think you could say pretty clearly that Clay Helton showed he's a better head coach so far. Um, I know that's not exactly evil, uh, yeah, um, evil, <laughs> equal <laughs> <Yeah>. playing fields, <laughs> if I could yeah. spit that out. Tongue-tied. 
But as far as would, offenses would, go, would, Cliff would, Kingsbury's offenses like are always top ten. You know, wouldn't you like? It would have been interesting to see Cliff Kingsbury with Sam Darnold. I would think. Yeah, uh, I'm not saying if if he was in Clay Helton's <laughs> spot, they wouldn't have had as good or better success. Who we don't know, but we've yeah, seen his offenses. Two, his offenses are amazing. Two, yeah, yeah, and put one at the other. I will say this: uh, it is interesting to make the comment that what's the difference between uh, uh, you know Clay Helton and Cliff Kingsbury? Um, both of them went five and seven this year. Only the guy at Texas Tech got fired. Um, so, you know, we, we have a tendency, I think at times to look, look down at Texas tech, but I, I, in the story I did today, I was surprised that they were the third top 25, uh, most valuable, uh, big 12 team, obviously Oklahoma and Texas are going to be, you know, two of the top six, uh, uh, in terms of their, you know, financial value, uh, in the country. But the only other Big 12 team in there was Texas Tech, and they made it at, at number 25. So they have been producing pretty well when you think, you know, where they are in Lubbock, Texas and all that, that they made it up to number 25 in terms of, uh, you know, revenue produced and, and all of that, uh, you know, over a three-year period. So uh, I think we sometimes maybe look down a little bit on Texas Tech. I mean, because when you think about it, after, you know, the good things that Cliff Kingsbury has done, you know, to get fired after a five and seven season is, is kind of surprising a little bit. Yeah. Um, so one of the other things that this is our next question, a uh, voicemail question, uh, it's going to be about JT Daniels and Cliff Kingsbury. I'll play it for you. But one thing to keep in mind, he definitely has had athletic quarterbacks. You've had like the Johnny Manziel's or the Patrick Mahomes. And then you've also had like the case Keenum's who, who are more of a, pocket passer so we've seen it's not just a certain kind of quarterback that he's been successful with but i'll play this question for you dan and then get your thoughts hey ryan's nick from san pedro lifelong trojan fan want to know uh my my opinion on it is with uh kingsbury coming on i think you're going to need a uh a mobile quarterback i mean you want to run the read pass option like they're trying to do with daniels and our quarterbacks before that are mobile, it just doesn't work. Um, so do you think Daniels can run it? Uh, is King Bear going to come in and start going after uh, quarterbacks that are able to run the read pass option like a Mahomes, like a Mayfield? Uh, hopefully it turns around for next season. All right, fight on. I think it's interesting. Uh my guess would be if you had uh, JT Daniels and, uh, and Baker Mayfield run the 40, they would run within a, a tenth of one another. I'm not sure which one would win. People, Baker Mayfield played fast, but he was like a 4'8", 40 guy. Uh, so, I mean, I think a lot of it is just how you do what you do. And I think the best thing about Cliff Kingsbury is he does what's the best for the players he's got on the field. I think the thing that, that people, you know, kind of – have gotten lost in, you know, with uh, all the difficulties around the USC offense this year is uh, J.K. Daniels can do some things that you can't teach, you can't coach. He can throw the ball to places on the field uh, that very few players in the country can do that. You have to get him into situations where he's going to be, you know, successful. First of all, he's quicker than he looks. 
he's got some habits where he throws off the back foot because he could do that because his arm was so good and he had so many people around him at modern day who could make plays at both ends, you know, got the, the offensive line and the, and the wide receivers. So he, you know, he had the ability to kind of throw it any way he wanted. He probably got to work a little bit on his, uh, on his footwork. Uh, you'd almost like to see him do some, you know, some dance lessons and some, um, and some boxing lessons to really, really get that, get that footwork, uh, you know, up to speed. And yet there were times where he did really, uh, you know, fight through uh, collapsing pockets and throw the ball on the run and, and do a lot of things for a freshman that a freshman probably shouldn't have to do under the kind of duress he was under. So my take would probably be that, that Cliff Kingsbury knows exactly what he's going to do with, uh, with JT Daniels and how he's going to do it. And I think he'll also, uh, you know, be somebody who will have all the quarterbacks much more up to speed uh, in terms of what the system requires from them. Because I think, you know, if he had three that he had to play this year at, uh, at Texas Tech, I mean, I think without a doubt, you're going to want uh, Jack Sears and, uh, and Matt Fink to, you know, be as advanced in the system as they possibly can. But, uh, but I, think, I think I see some really good things uh, in store for, uh, you know, for, uh, for JT. I think one of them will be that he will not have to start every play by wondering where the heck the snap's going to be and, and taking his eyes off the defense. Uh, I think that was, that was almost criminal that he was made to do that, uh, you know, game after game, play after play. That, that was just it was unfair. I mean, it just it was self-defeating, and um, you can't have that. And I'm, I'm thinking that is not going to happen even a little bit this year. I just think things like that are just not going to be allowed to be a, be a factor. And, you know, I like I, that kind of judgment where you just say in August, you say, nope, can't do this. This is not, not working for us. Got to do something else. And that decision was never made. I think Cliff can make those kinds of decisions and move on because he knows exactly what he's trying to do and what he needs to be able to do it. Stephen Poway wrote in, listening to Ryan's podcast with Miss Castro, it seems like things broke down for Cliff this past season when his quarterbacks were injured. Two questions. One, do you think Cliff's air raid offensive scheme puts his QB in any more danger slash risk of injury than traditional RPO schemes like USC was running this year? Two, related to this, do you think Clay and Cliff will go fishing for Jalen Hurts or other grad transfer QBs this offseason to try and stack the QB roster for an explosive fall 2019 season? No, no, I like Jalen Hurts. I like where he, you know, what he's done and all that. No, that would be the last thing I think you need right now at USC. I mean, you, you, you want to get with the people they've got, you, they've got enough to make this work without a doubt. And, and you, you do not need an extra, um, you know, an extra person there to, you know, really, uh, you know, confuse things because, uh, Jalen Hurts hasn't, hasn't ever, um, run an offense like that. And, and that's not, you know, something that, that he would, uh, would necessarily excel in. Um, but, but yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm just very positive about the whole thing. I, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm positive about, you know, the, the way Cliff does what he does 
and matching that with the personnel at USC. I just think the combination is, is really a good, you know, a good fit. I think that's why JT, I mean, I, excuse me, that's why Cliff, I think Cliff basically recruited USC. I think he looked around and said, if I'm going to, you know, make the best of, of this situation, USC is the best place, uh, you know, for me to do that. So I think, it, you know, it kind of validates those of us who kind of said, hey, I think this is this team's got enough talent if, you know, handled right, if developed right, if schemed right, practiced right, if done all those things, this team's got enough talent to, to get the job done. And I think that's exactly the decision that Cliff made, uh, that this was a place of all the places maybe that he could go, this would be the place that he could show what he could do uh, do the most. And I think that that in itself is kind of you know, going to be a pick-me-up for the whole program, uh, and especially on offense. And I think it picks up the defense. I think one of the things that happened last year on the defense was one of those, one of the, when they got those 34-point runs where they just kind of gave up because they knew the offense wasn't going to be capable of, of coming back and putting up those kinds of points. I think the difference when you've got an offense that you think to just keep putting up points and putting up points changes the way the defense plays. Uh, so we'll be, we'll see. I mean, I'm guessing next year they have more than what was it? Two interceptions for the whole season. I just think things are going to, it's going to have a different look. Last year was kind of a defeatist sort of a mentality. I think with a Cliff Kingsbury, you have the chance to have kind of a much more upbeat personality and much more upbeat take on things at USC. Uh, as far as the defense goes, we actually have a question from Dan, class of 1962, who says, um, he essentially says, why not look at, if you're going to hire, if you're going to fire T. Martin, why aren't you looking at Clancy too, based on how the defense performed last season? Well, I think they were, I think, I mean, I do think there was some smoke about, you know, looking at a big name guy, how, how serious that was and who initiated that and how it, you know, how it evolved and all that. But I think Clancy knows that they haven't, there are things that, that not to be happy about. I mean, he's had trouble integrating um, young talent. And when you get the best, I think I think potentially the best safety in the freshman class in the country and the best uh, middle linebacker, and you have trouble getting them on the field or you don't get them on the field until somebody gets hurt or three or four guys, get, you know, leave the team. Um, and then they turn out to be probably technically and physically your best two tacklers on the field. And yet you still aren't sure that you can get them in the game. I think that's, there are some issues. And I think there are issues with the defense that says all 11 players have to make the exact right play all every single play, or we're going to give up a long touchdown. I'm sorry. That probably isn't the way to coach in high school or excuse me, in college when you're coaching, if you do it right, if you recruit right, you're going to have hopefully a couple of freshmen on the field and to act like we can't have anybody ever make a mistake. And maybe you need two or three years in the defense before you're, you know, able to play. I mean, the way college is, if you're getting the best safety or best uh, middle linebacker in the country, you maybe should just think we're going to have them for three years. Well, if you're going to have them for three years only, uh, and you don't really get 
the you know complete use out of them as freshmen, man, that's you know that that's cutting them. Basically, you're getting a, a two-year player. I don't think he can do that. I think you have to figure out how to get him on the field quicker. And you know the defense has to be able to be something that guys with that kind of talent who really want to play can play. And I don't know that we've seen that. I think there were a lot of promises this year that there would be more rotation and deeper rotation, but I'm just not sure we saw that. And uh, so I think you know I think that sense of of, of not happy with the defense. I mean, how can you be happy with a defense that? that just lay down against UCLA. I mean, that, that, that defense against the run uh, in the UCLA game. And then they came back, though, next week, and they really, you know, stood up to Notre Dame, which makes the D- UCLA game look even worse. Um, so there's some real issues on defense. And, and I, you know, I think they're looking at them. Um, not sure that it's completely played out, but one would think uh, with the most recent hiring, and and what we're hearing might be the next hiring for the for defensive backs might indicate that Clancy is pretty well locked in, but uh, but 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 not with uh, you know a sense of you know you've done a great job or this is the you know the best defensive coordinator in the country or whatever. It's not like special teams where where they do have the best special teams coordinator in the country, as I've been told. Well, it's funny you mentioned that. Dan actually asked another question. and said, what are the prospects of getting rid of Baxter as well? The best defensive coordinator, in the, I mean, a special teams coordinator in the country? Are you kidding? How could you do that? That would be crazy. The sass is okay. real. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't seem like that's in the cards. I mean, you know, they don't always, I mean, I think one of the, the, the things that has to happen with special teams, they have to do a better job uh, identifying um, scholarship kickers, for example. You can't have two scholarship kickers, punter and kicker, and have them both beaten, beaten out by walk-ons who then also have to be scholarshiped. Uh, that, just, that just doesn't work, you know. And you see, you know, uh, Utah for University of Utah, you know, bringing in guys from Perth, Australia, who just kill it and have the you know, the best kicker and the best punter in the country in your own conference. And you think, man, you know, I know one of those kids was from Utah, but you just think, wow, if you get an offer from Utah and USC, you think USC would be kind of competitive. So I, I think they have to do a really better job there. I think they have to do. I mean, we had a, it was kind of masked for a few years with Adoree Jackson uh, as a, you know, especially as a punt return threat. But I'm not sure we've seen anything replacing, you know, Adoree the last two years. Uh, so I think they do a pretty good job, you know, getting the kicks. Uh, I think they've they've absolutely figured out some, you know, good ways to to get your hand on the ball and block kicks and, and you know, the Washington State game. Uh, certainly uh, was won as a result of that. But uh, but special teams need some work. I don't think there's any question. You can't keep having um, game after game where uh, where you line up with 10 players on a, on a special teams, uh, uh, you know, that happened like or it whatever. Happened, you just, yeah. It happened like half the games. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's always something. I mean, it just – 
So they haven't hit or act together uh, on special teams. And yet we do hear, you know, the best special, you know, from Clay, the best special teams coordinator in the country. And, you know, you kind of look at it and say, I'm not sure what he's talking about exactly there. The, the, you know, the proof on the field has not been, been that. Uh, it's been really spotty, really, really spotty. Tarion says, if Cliff Kingsbury is successful but ends up at USC for only one or two years, do you think it will be difficult to find a, a successor who will be capable of continuing his offense? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I don't think, you know, there aren't that many people you can say, boy, he's kind of he's one of a kind or there is no successor. I think he's close to one of those guys. It's just, he's, this is just his his deal. I mean, he played it, he lived it. He, he, you know, he came up under Mike Leach. So he had, he had the kind of training, but you see the evolution, I think, in, in what Kingsbury has done. And, and it's really, uh, you know, exclusive to him. I mean, he has, it seems the ability to evolve it. And as Ryan said, whatever direction you got to tie down, we go there. For example, if Daniel Amater baby comes back next year, healthy, I mean, God only knows if that's even remotely possible. But if he would come back like he was two years ago, I think it changes absolutely what USC's offense would look like because they would take advantage of, of that. Uh, I just think, you know, Kingsbury will probably will not be easy to replace. And if he, you know, in a year or two, if he has the kind of success that everybody, you know, at USC should be hoping he has, uh, and, and, who knows where he goes or how that works out or, or what the decision is at that point. Uh, but I, I would not say this about a lot of people, but I think he'd be really hard to replace. He's just kind of pretty much one of a kind, I think in a lot of ways. And it's so hard and we've seen it uh, up close a number of times when coaches come in and try to remember what somebody else was doing or try to copy what somebody else was doing, or try to, and it's not really something that they completely understand because it's theirs, because they, they figured it out, and they did it, and they learned it, and they don't have to ask, how would so-and-so do that? Um, there just aren't a lot of people who can do what, uh, what Kingsbury can do. Um, so, so, yeah, I think you know, that'll be an issue, but you want that to be an issue because you want to have the kind of success that would allow him uh, to go ahead and do that, or you have to make a choice. Uh, do you want him to move on or or not? And, you know, that happens at, at, at universities too, where, where, you know, Lincoln Riley, for example, Oklahoma didn't want him to move on. And, you know, Bob Stoops, you know, retired. Uh you never know how all those things, uh, you know, play out in a program, but, uh, I wouldn't worry about those yet. I think there's a whole lot of things that happen before, um, you worry about that. Don says after watching Alabama and Georgia, USC looks like a flag football team and the coaching sidelines look more like pop Warner than a college sideline. He says, when was the last time that a Helton coach team looked engaged on the sidelines? Have you seen much communication between the SC coaches and the players during the games? Is Helton's blank stare on the sideline closer to a deer in the headlights or a poker player not wanting to show his hand? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I remember getting there really early 
the day uh, the first op- the opener two years ago when they opened with Alabama. And so a couple hours before game time, you see the you know the support staff and the managers and everybody comes out to do all the things that uh, go into what happens on the sideline and all the equipment stuff and all the and 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 watching USC uh, versus the Alabama uh, staff put put the sideline together. It did look a little Pop Warner, Warner-ish on the USC sideline compared to Alabama. I mean, it looked like, wait a minute, these two teams are playing the same sport. One of them looks like they're doing a whole lot different things with a whole lot more people, with a whole lot more equipment, with a whole lot more everything than the other one. And, you know, the game turned out pretty much the same. Yeah, I, I think USC has to figure out how to get uh, a lot of things done. And I don't think there was a lot of, uh, of good communication on the USC sideline. And some of the communication we got with players looking not all that engaged in what was going on on the field or having, you know, you know laughing you know, at what would seem to be inappropriate times when USC fans were not laughing or just the, the losing control at the third quarter break uh change the field you know at the uh rose bowl for the ucla game and having those guys just you know the whether the alabama entrance uh that year or the third quarter um you know fourth quarter um you know running onto the field and dancing around when they had a five-point lead uh, against ucla i'm not sure which of those two were more embarrassing boy they were you know they're close and and that can't be allowed to happen. I mean, just try to imagine uh, a Bear Bryant or John McKay team coming onto the field in either one of those situations. What would have happened to those players? I mean, and, and that it just can't even be a thought in somebody's mind that that's you know appropriate behavior. So, so yeah, I think one of the things you would really like to see shorn up is uh, is the uh, sideline behavior, sideline. You know, just everything about it, more professional looking, uh, you know, more uh, cooperative, more you know, guys sharing information. I know that was always a question of who does Sam Darnold talk to when he goes off, you know, when, when they're on defense. And the question often was, well, doesn't look like he's talking to anybody. Um, that has to change. Has to change. I mean, you watch, who was it, uh, uh, Sunday's game, I guess, with the Rams. And uh, Jared Goff, he didn't get his tail on the bench before he had two guys with, uh, you know, iPads right next to him, one on either side, showing him what the heck was going wrong, uh, you know, in the Bears game. But I think, you know, you got to see more of that. And we're not seeing as much of that as, as, as we need, need to see. Mike in Santa Barbara uh, is wondering about T. Martin. He says, I'm still somewhat baffled by the firing of T. Martin. I know you agree with me on this, as you've said. Time, you said at times that T was willing to stay uh, in a different capacity, and he is an awesome recruiter. I think that there's a story here. He said, "Here's what doesn't make sense. In the case of KU, he apparently didn't get along with Clancy, so Clancy stays on the staff, and KU goes. I get that. But in the case of T. Martin, apparently he never really wanted to be the offensive coordinator and wouldn't have been a threat to a new OC coming in. In addition, he had at least two years left on his contract, which now needs to be bought out." In a program star for cash, it would make sense, sense to keep T on staff and put that buyout money 
to use somewhere else. So what's the motivation to let him go? I'm wondering if there wasn't some major friction behind the scenes between Clay and T, which ultimately led to to T's dismissal. He says, I hope that this doesn't come back to bite us at some point in the future. What say you, oh, wise ones? Uh, Wise ones, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I think one of the things they have to be thinking is that T can get another job, which we're hearing is absolutely going to be no problem at all, and that they may not have to pay out you know, any of that or, or very little of that to your, uh, you know, deal that he's still got coming. Uh, I know he likes it in, in Southern California, his, you know, son just starting high school kind of thing. But, uh, but I think, um, I think they were, I, and I think there was more friction behind the scenes than we will ever be able to guess. Um, I, I think, uh, who was calling certain plays and how that played out publicly and, and I, I think T had had enough of, of play calling. And I think uh, he, you know, said, I don't, I don't want to keep doing this. If I can't do it the way I want. And I don't know that he was ever able to say, this is my offense. It was kind of a combination of, of a lot of things. And, uh, and so I just think one of the things you might've wanted to do if you were going to get Cliff Kingsbury is just clear the decks for him and just to let him, not have to be, um, you know, dealing with the previous offense coordinator or play caller, especially somebody who's really got a lot of respect and a lot of, you know, you know, good qualities and all of that, that, that you could do that for the right reasons possibly. And, uh, and I do think there was more there than we'll probably ever know in terms of how that all uh, worked out uh, behind the scenes in terms of, of, of things like the play calling and uh who did what when and um i'm not sure we ever got the you know completely straight picture as to how that happened i think you know part of the problem there too was and i think there was some frustration on t martin's part he was getting a lot of flack Uh, a lot of it was like he's a terrible offensive coordinator and you never got the feeling that this was he wasn't the offensive coordinator that came in and installed what he wanted to do now he's never been an offensive coordinator before either so maybe that's part of it, but I don't ever feel like he was running the offense. This was his kind of baby. He was calling the plays or the majority of the plays, but I don't think it was something that he was uh, in full control over. So I think now, and that's part of the, the whole gumbo thing is where did it come from? That's why I feel like when you're going to hire someone, it's a guru. I've, I've said this before, like get an expert, get a guru. He played for Mike Leach. He, this is a system he's developed over years. Uh, and he's learned from some of the brightest minds in college football. Now you hand that over to Cliff Kingsbury. He's done this before. He's every time, everywhere he goes, it's a top 10 offense. You're almost guaranteed, like say JT Daniels starts uh, at quarterback, almost guarantee you he's going to set the USC passing record for a number of yards and touch. Like most likely that's going to happen if you have Cliff Kingsbury. So that's a good thing. You just let him run it. And there won't be any question. If the offense is struggling, I mean, you want, you don't want to really have the question of, well, is this is it meddling or is it trying to run what he's not doing? No, I mean, you want him to just run his system because that's what he does really well. And I don't think, you know, T. Martin didn't have that. Uh, you know, that's just not the way it was running with him. So I, I could feel some of his frustration. Um, and we'll see, you know, where he lands. Like there's been talk about Colorado, talk about Maryland, which uh, Chris Trevino like, was thought that was really interesting. 
Uh, maybe, you know, go back to Alabama. They got an opening now because their, their offensive coordinator left to become the head coach at, at Maryland, I believe it was. So yep. there's a, there's a lot, uh, a lot going on there. Yeah. So this could be, I think a good thing for T because I think he was in a, in a, a no win situation. And, uh, I think what USC was doing on offense is they were running plays. Some plays were this guy's and some plays were that guy's and, and some of the plays helped, you know, set up these plays and some of them didn't and some of them they knew how to run and some of them they didn't and some of them, you know, made sense and some of them didn't. Whereas uh, what they'll be doing now with Kingsbury is running an offense. So I think it's a big difference between running plays that you hope will work and running an offense. And that never got a chance to happen with the way it developed at USC. You just had, you know, you know the old, the old saying goes: too many cooks, uh, you know, spoil the broth. I mean, there were just uh, uh, a lot of people who had their hands in the pot, and uh, that's probably not the way to go. We have one final question from Dan again, class of 1962. He says, has any reporter ever asked Lynn Swan if he thinks that Clay Heldon is on par with his former coaches, John McKay and Chuck Knoll, even when, even in the way they used to conduct practices? I never heard of either advocating no pads November. Thanks for your great programs. Yeah, I think um, that would be one of those questions where Lynn would look at you and he would know you weren't waiting for an answer. I mean, it was like, come on, you know, he would know that. I mean, he basically is saying, if I work with Clay, I think maybe we can get this done. And just because there will be a stability here. But he, you know, he didn't, he hasn't made the case that, yeah, that he's uh, John McKay or or Chuck Knoll. I think uh, one of the things that, that Lynn is kind of out of, you know, if you talk about the, the fundamentally, you know, sound and physicality and toughness and all that, that you had with those Steeler teams and with those USC teams, uh, Lynn came from a different background. He was the kid who grew up, you know, as a ballet dancer with great athleticism and moves, but he wasn't in the middle of those USC teams. He was on the periphery. He was the, you know, guys jumping up and catching the, you know, and they didn't throw the ball nearly as much then as they did today, but he was so much more athletic than, you know, almost anybody he was playing against. Uh, but Lynn is probably not somebody who would be the best person to interpret uh, the toughness of uh, of John McKay or or Chuck Knoll. I mean, that was, Lynn was, Lynn was not mean Joe Green, for example. Uh, and the Pittsburgh Steelers, great. He was, he was the you know the the outlier pretty much on those teams that that were you know so physical and so tough. And so uh, I'm not sure that would be a, a question that that Lynn would even be able to to begin to answer. Lynn Swan, my childhood idol, growing up in Western Pennsylvania, I always followed just followed everything he did. Obviously, you know. The Mean Joe Greens, the Jack Lamberts and Jack Hams and Terry Bradshaws and all those guys. Um, that was my that was my jam growing up in uh, in the seventies, Keely, before you were around. Mm-hmm. And oh, Lynn was this. not part of that group. I mean, uh, as as somebody, they were our arch rivals. As somebody who uh, from Cincinnati with the Bengals, and when the Steelers fans, you know, played them twice a year, every year, Steelers fans came to town and all that. 
and all you ever thought about was how tough they were, uh, fans and and their team. It was physical, tough. I mean, and and that's when the Bengals were actually pretty good. Uh, and it was you know it was a great you know back and forth. But uh, but Lynn was the outlier. The rest of the Steelers were, I mean, they were tough guys, and uh, and that was. Uh, that was that was fun. I'm, you know, Ryan, you got a you got a part of that. That was good. It was great. Their fans, when their fans came to Cincinnati, because they could drive, you know, from Pittsburgh sure. to Cincinnati, and for a weekend, you had those, you know, black and yellow, <laughs> you know, wearing uh, Steelers fans take over, uh, you know, Cincinnati. And it was uh, it was fun to 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 be rivals uh, with those uh, Steelers teams. And Chuck Noll was. Uh, Kind of a local guy. He, he was a, a great player at the University of Dayton when they still had Division One football. So he was sort of, kind of you know, a Southwestern Ohio guy. And there was really a lot of back and forth uh, with those teams. It was uh, it was cool. It definitely was cool. There was John Stallworth who was eighty two. Len Swan was eighty eight, and then you know Rocky Blyer uh, was twenty. Yeah, Franco Harris what was he? Was he thirty two? I think he was thirty two. I think he was. Yeah. I used to just love watching those teams. So it's kind of weird that uh, Lynn Swan's like running the athletics program now that I've been covering for 20-something years. Um, well, that's cool stuff. We're going to actually do uh, – so the rest of the week, we're probably going to do – or well, scheduled right now, I'm going to do a recruiting podcast with Gerard Martinez tomorrow afternoon. More reasons to sign up. Yeah. Early signing period coming down the pipe. Early line. signing period. Yeah. So it's a VIP. So it's for VIP members. So the podcast is not part of this kind of group of podcasts. So if you want to get Gerard talking for about an hour and a half on anything and everything USC recruiting, I could ask him a question about defensive backs and you might, he might, you know, finish 10 minutes later talking about mm. quarterback footwork or something. Like it's just that this is what happens when we talk with Gerard, uh, as you know, as you guys know. Uh, we'll do that, but also we're going to do Tunnel Vision on Thursday, a little early. We're going to start at 5 p.m. on Thursday to accommodate Keeley's busy schedule. Um, <laughs> Throwing me under the bus. <laughs> well, yeah, so we'll do that. So we'll we'll have our Tunnel Vision show, and I uh, hope you guys – we didn't do one Sunday. Still trying to – I just got a new some new stuff to, to set up. We're going to try to do some live calls, maybe even on the, these podcasts too, especially in the offseason when there's not going to be as many questions Take a couple of live calls. That could be interesting. Just a question on that. Do you have to put in the uh, seven-second delay? We, yeah, we, <laughs> we, I don't think we have the technology for that, so it's really just, just going to be about, yeah. It's called me hovering the mute button. Yeah, it's just ready oh, for the... Oh, man, you got to be right there, Keely. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it could be a little... I'm, I'm a little nervous, not going to lie. She's, yeah, whenever I try to like do something new, Keely's always a little nervous, a little... It's not throwing you under the bus. You just were, you know, there's a lot of technical stuff to like when we do live shows. And you usually tell me five minutes before the show starts, Ryan. Yeah. So <laughs> I think last week for this show, you were like, let's do it. Let's simulcast it. It was like five minutes before. I pulled it, Ryan. You did. You, it worked. It worked. See? Okay. Um, cool. Well, that's Dan Weber. Dan, thanks for coming on. Thanks. Enjoyed it as always. And uh, Keely, York, thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me. All right. And uh, all of you out there, thank you so much for spending a little bit of your day or night or over a couple of days listening to our little show, The Peristyle Podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed it, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. 
We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.